think the first issue is that we are not culinary trained, right? We are not from an F&B background. So a lot of it is trial and error. A lot of it is problem solving on the fly. A lot of it is applying parallel thinking to see how we can solve the challenges accordingly. Uh, that was that was definitely an eye opener. You're listening to Foodie Canteen. I'm your host, Castle Lim. And in this podcast, I'm sitting down with Southeast Asia's leaders, entrepreneurs, and content creators in the F&B space. You will learn about their trade secrets, or you'll just find them as a next-door neighbor. This conversation is brought to you by GrabFood. Enjoy 50% off your GrabFood orders using promo code HOTDEALS if you're ordering in the Klang Valley, or HOTDEALS GF when ordering from outside of Klang Valley. Jong, Makan Online, TNCs apply. Today on the show, we have not one, but two very special guests. They are living our childhood dream of creating and eating ice cream all day. Stick around to find out. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Hi, hi, how are you? Hello. So for our listeners who have not heard about Inside Scoop, can you guys briefly introduce yourself? My name is Edmund. Uh, together with Derek and Shuli, I founded Inside Scoop. We founded Inside Scoop in December 2013, and I've been working uh, at Inside Scoop for the last five years. Uh, just in case you don't know who we are, and that's very possible, we are an artisanal ice creamery that started our humble beginnings from Bangsa, and we're still finding our feet in Malaysia and hopefully internationally. Hi, I'm Derek. Um, as Edmund mentioned, one of the co-founders of Inside Scoop uh, and one of the ice cream scoopers slash, you know, ice cream makers, washers, etc. Right. So you guys have the absolute dream job, making, selling, surrounded by ice cream. So tell us, how did two men start to talk about opening an ice cream business? Uh, I think it was fairly coincidental, uh, unexpected for sure. Coincidental, definitely. Uh, the probability of this happening, I think, is like 0.0001 in like a million uh, uh, Derek and I used to be ex-colleagues. We used to work together in a bank. And one day, uh, I think I think on my seventh or eight, I think my eighth or ninth year of uh, my service in the bank, and then I, I applied for a sabbatical. And I said I was going to do something on my own. After that, uh, we got to talking, and then we both found out that we were interested in venturing into F&B and more specifically into the dessert category or the ice cream category. Then the rest is history, lah. Uh, halfway through, both of us decided that we didn't want to do anything and we didn't want to work, we just want to collect money. So Derek somehow managed to convince me to convince my wife or my ex-girlfriend, my then ex-girlfriend, uh, to, to join the business full-time and to, to run it for us at the start. And then after that, we uh, once once it got up and then, yeah, then, 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 then only we came in and, and pretend to do some work. Uh. <laughs> So it was just like a random conversation during, I heard one one afternoon break, right? Yeah, it was just an afternoon break. We were standing by the by the taxi stand or by somewhere. Derek was having a cigarette. I was having a coffee, and we were just talking. We were young and foolish ones, you see. The <laughs> dream of opening an ice cream store seemed so fun, and and didn't, didn't we didn't what they didn't realize is how much work there was. Yeah, but the decision yeah. doesn't seem so foolish. It's probably tougher than uh, banking, by the way, for those <laughs> of you who want to know. Okay. So uh, like many successful businesses, they solve a problem. And at that time, you guys saw a gap in the premium ice cream market. I mean, how do you stand up the big brands back then like Baskin Robbins and haagen when at that time they were so highly consumed and recognized by the people already? 
I think, uh, at least for me, I think there were two clear differentiating points. One, that, you know, brands like Baskin Robbins and Hagen does uh, do not produce their ice cream fresh. Um, and we, we did that on a daily basis so that the ice cream that you have is free of preservatives, free of uh, an artificial flavorings, etc., so that you could have the natural, uh, the freshest, uh, most natural ice cream possible. So that's one clear differentiator. And then the second part is a lot of these ice creams are made for international markets, so they cater to Western taste or international taste, whereas we could um, create flavors that are more tailored to the Asian taste buds and do it quickly and react to market trends uh, much faster. Yeah, I mean, it's consistent with Derek. I think we all, we all, we all saw the gap that Baskin Robbins and Hagen does had. So we fundamentally serve same, same, but different kind of markets. We don't look at us as like purely competitors, but we also complement to a certain extent what they can do. We bring something new to the market so that ice cream as a category can grow, like the premium category can actually grow uh, in line together with our entry as opposed to us chipping away their market share. Like, we fundamentally get people to eat ice cream more often, which I think is, is good for the entire category as opposed to just chip away uh, somebody else's market share by, by creating flavors that are more exciting, by creating flavors that are more innovative uh, and also addressing the needs of people. Like, sometimes I really want something sweet. I mean, just go to Baskin Robbins or Hagenas. When I see Baskin Robbins and Hagenas, I can still go in there. But actually, I, I, I still eat Baskin Robbins and Hagenas sometimes, actually. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just making... What? It's a good flavor. It's a good flavor, right? But it's just, it's just you know, the entire premium category is... Ice cream category is big. Right? Uh, we, we, we address the market and grow the market together in tandem. Yeah, you guys have right now about 27, I mean, at 27 outlets in the market, both in Malaysia and Singapore. How was the first week of business look like for you guys back in the days? <laughs> this is Derek's favorite story. The, the first week was scary. Uh, I remember looking at the sales for one of the days in the first week and it was less than a few hundred ringgit and most of it came from friends. So we, so I thought, what the hell have we done, right? <laughs> we, we made, everyone told us it's hard to compete against the big boys, the incumbents, and yet we full, were foolhardy and did it. And Edmund and I gave up good jobs to do it. So it was like, oh, what have I done? <laughs> Fortune favors the boat. Fortune favors the boat. No, but thankfully things turned around pretty quickly. Uh, I think within a couple of months, you know, the brand was gaining traction amongst the local uh, consumers and word of mouth spread. We we did very little marketing actually, and today we have done. We were not very big on marketing per se, but I think it was word of mouth and it was, uh, I guess, the quality of the product which came true for us. So how do you guys manage to pull off so to open so many outlets within a period of eight years? I mean, 27 outlets in eight years, it's a lot. Yeah, I think the growth was largely organic. We saw, we saw locations that were available. We saw uh, opportunities that were available and then we went in there fairly selectively. Uh, could we have done more? I think the short answer is yes. I mean, you look at certain brands like the Bubble Tea guys, they've gone from zero to 100 or zero to 200 uh, over a shorter period of time. Uh, so the category is definitely there for to, to, to grow to grow further. The category is definitely there, but it was it was largely just like 
we were still solving a problem. Uh, people enjoyed our products. They wanted us at certain locations. And we, we saw the opportunity and just left into it and, and got straight into uh, it. And I think from a, uh, from a financial point of view, what's important is every dollar that was generated by the business, every dollar of profit was plowed back into the business for the first at least four or five years. So we... Actually, we, I don't think we've taken any money off the table yet. <laughs> so so we, we, we take very low salaries. We don't, we don't do dividends to shareholders, uh, uh, sadly. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, money is instead spent on hiring good people, opening more stores, uh, increasing our production capabilities and, and R&D. Yeah. So unfortunately, we took a few steps back uh, on our personal lives. Uh. I mean, what were some of the setbacks and challenges you guys faced in the early days or even until today? I think the first issue is that we are not culinary trained, right? And we're not F&B. We're, uh, we're not from an F&B background. So a lot of it is trial and error. A lot of it is problem solving on the fly. A lot of it is applying parallel thinking to see how we can solve the challenges accordingly. Uh, that was that was definitely an eye opener. I I think <laughs> the, the 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 running joke between me and Derek is the the funniest thing is how he whip eggs. Uh, like that <laughs> was the the most hilarious joke. And I and I don't know uh, whether you cook or not, but when you tell a when you tell a pastry chef to whip the eggs, I mean it's to whip until stiff peaks, right? To whip until stiff peaks, like you flip the bowl, it's stuck to the bowl, and it's, and it's stiff, right? <laughs> Derek literally took egg white and he beat it with a fork. Like how you make a like how you twenty minutes <laughs> after twenty minutes the eggs were still looking the same. And he said, "Yeah, it's stiff enough. Yeah, it's stiff. That was hilarious." <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, jokes aside, uh, it was it was a lot of that sort of thing that we didn't know, but uh, we could joke about it, we could have fun about it, and then more importantly, as we grow in that process, we we understood what needs to be done and can apply the knowledge that we get effectively, like whether it's we got the knowledge in-house or from our friends or from our peer groups. Uh, so that was, that was really good. And Shirley also did, went to school for, to study the courses so that you guys are on track and really gain knowledge and not just like, oh, we don't know anything. We are just jumping into it without any knowledge. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Derek's aunt had a uh, gelato shop that we had access to, you know, for, for the machines for a couple of days to go and play around with it. I think that was our first entry into uh, commercial ice cream making or, or commercial gelato making. And then after that, uh, as we got some knowledge, Julie also decided to make the process official uh, and, and went to Italy to learn how to make gelato. We also had help from a uh, pastry chef in one of the Michelin star restaurants in Singapore to guide us through some of the basic principles and give some ideas uh, right at the start. So that was helpful. So who mm. plays what role in this yeah. business? Like who's the patient one? Who's the curious one? Who's the risk taker among the three of you? Derek is without a doubt the risk taker here. <laughs> I, I, I like the word risk taker, not gambler. <laughs> Two different things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shuli definitely has most of the attention to detail sorted. I think among the three of us, without a doubt, she 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 crosses the, the she dots the I's and she crosses the T. Uh, Derek definitely happy to, to, to be more risk on and, and to be a bit more aggressive with growth. Uh, I sort of balance between the the, the two, you know, how to be a bit practical with operations while still continue to grow in the process. 
So it's a fairly, I think we've got a fairly good thing going on among the three of us. Is it always like happy? Yes, I think it is. Is it always easy? No, it's not. Uh, like difficult discussions are had among the three of us at times, but always, uh, like logic always, I, I feel that logic always prevails. Like, we generally are able to come up with a sensible solution. Generally, if three of us agree, means it's a goal, which means that it's been balanced out on both sides, right? <laughs> so what do you guys think brought Insight Scope to the top of the game in the Malaysian market? I think we've still got a fair way to go. We're not really top of the game. I think we're very lucky that uh, we got the support that we did. We still have a fair bit to go. And we are, hopefully, we're still at the tip of the iceberg of what we could potentially do in the entire market whether it's the ice cream category, whether it's the dessert category, whether it's a broader food category. Uh, a few things a few things that I generally really look up to, like to the rest of our team, is the attention to detail that we have, the, the store experience that we give to the customers. Uh, and also, more importantly, like what I mentioned, uh, the attention to detail to every aspect of the business where it well and truly matters to the customers. Uh, uh, that, that, that cannot be understated, uh, in, my, in my point of view, uh, at least. So do you think um, Inside Scoop introducing localized flavors to Malaysians like your durian, your under-under flavors play a part too, uh, to that factor? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it does. There you go. No, I think it's, uh, it's, it's one, definitely one USP for us. Uh, when you think of how we can bridge the, the new and old, the nostalgia with modern, right? Like, I think some of our flavors like marble sesame do that extremely well, right? When you, you recreate a zimahu, a very traditional Chinese dessert, into an ice cream that is very similar and reminds people of the past, but also brings them into today, I think that's, a, that's, that's an amazing USB for us. So where do you guys find the inspiration to create new flavors every year, despite going through the same celebrations like Hari Raya and Chinese New Year? Uh, same thing like how uh, people have been selling mooncake for the last 100 years, right, in theory, if not more. Uh, but every year, people still go and have mooncake, correct? Uh, it's an evolution rather than a revolution. Uh, every year, there's something new. There's a new ingredient. There's a new idea. There's a new application. There's a new way to interpret things, uh, to make things interesting. And I think that's that's why the industry is so vibrant and that's why the industry is so so interesting. If you if you break it down, a burger is a burger is a burger, right? But why do McDonald's sell so many burgers? Why does Burger Lab sell so many burgers? It's just the interpretation and the feel that it gives you and put into your mouth. Yeah, and the consistency of the products. Well. People know what they're going to get. They know they're going to get a high-quality product um, no matter where they are in the world, where they are in the world. And, and I mean, innovation is important as well, whether it's McDonald's or Burger, uh, or Burger Lab or Inside Scoop, right? So they know yeah. that they're going to see some new flavors now and then. Uh, they're going to see reinterpretation, reinterpretations of classics. They're going to see new forms of ice cream, whether it's in a mooncake or in, in an ice cream cake or some sort of ice cream form. So it's a combination of consistency and innovation mm -hmm. at, at the same time. Yeah. I mean, Inside Scoop is famous for your ice cream buffets and you guys even had the Dine in the Car ice cream buffet recently. What was the experience like to execute a tradition in a new way? Uh, for us, it's about customer engagement and also customer enjoyment. Uh. So like Ramadan was always about buffet. So we thought about how we can uh, uh, make it 
So we so we thought about how we can make it relevant to us. Uh, and then during MCO, you couldn't go into the shop and do the buffet. So we thought that we'll bring the drive-through experience to you. So it's it's a lot of that sort of things, uh, and it's the details around it and how the team is able to put it together that uh, I think it's it, I think it's really great like, from an experience standpoint. So that that bit we we do it is a bit hard, it's a bit difficult, but we have fun in the process. We enjoy in the process, and customers get to have a bit of fun. I think that that sort of branding synergy is what we well and truly like. Uh, like yeah. So how do you guys continue to stay relevant? Uh, from us, it's continuous uh, improvement internally from a product standpoint. Uh, staying relevant is also making sure we are ahead of the trends, uh, whether it is using different forms of marketing. You know, we do Facebook marketing, online uh, Instagram marketing, and more recently TikTok, uh, just, just to save people's front of mind, right? Renew our, our, our markets. Uh, product innovation uh, is not a revolution. It's more of an evolution. Uh, continue to to stay fresh, uh, and then also the store experience. Now, when you walk into the store, what what sort of things are people looking for? Those are the three pillars that we generally uh, look at and, and try and attack. I think just to add, also keeping the original products and original DNA intact. So the consistency of the Verona chocolate, the durians, which are not cutting edge flavors, but very high quality, dependable. You know exactly the, the high quality chocolate you're going to get. Uh, if you're just looking for something that is, uh, you know, a staple flavor, that's something you'll get here in addition to the innovation. That was Derek and Edmund from Inside Scoop. You are listening to Foodie Canteen and we'll be right back after a short break. I'd like to share something with you that I've always used when I'm all caught up with work and I've got no time to cook. I use GrabFood. Created to make working from home easier, sometimes I get lunch and dinner delivered to my doorstep. For our listeners, you can now enjoy 50% off your GrabFood orders with promo code HOTDEALS if you're ordering in the Klang Valley or GF when ordering from outside of Klang Valley. Jom, makan online, TNCs apply. So during this pandemic, a lot of restaurants are shutting down simply because they can't pivot or they don't have enough cash flow. But you guys decided to open your 27th outlet in Singapore back in March. Is there something that you guys are seeing that other businesses don't? Yeah, uh, none of them are as this. <laughs> I think, you know, F&B, um, not everyone. Everyone in F&B is doing badly during the lockdown. Some some people are actually doing quite well, especially in our category of desserts, snacks, takeaway. So lucky for us, ice cream is is a product that can be delivered quite well through food delivery apps or through our own delivery systems. And I think that's given us confidence that there is demand for our product, even if someone is sitting at home, he's thinking of high school ice cream and, and wants to have it. So, yeah, I mean, by, 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 we're putting another one in Singapore, one and a half months. So, thank wow. you for that. Yeah, I think, uh, from, from our side, we, we see, we see that F&B is here to stay, like, regardless of pandemic or no pandemic. So, we take a slightly longer term view. Is the MCO painful for us? Uh, yes, it is. Um, could we, would we have liked it to be business as usual? Uh, yes, we would. But it also gave us a few opportunities that I don't think would be present. We're looking at Singapore to go back. Uh, 
that decision has been had. We've been going back and forth for the last couple of years, right? And I would say it's one of the reasons why we went in is also because the opportunity become available. Like shop lots that uh, shop lots that are not, or previously we wouldn't have thought about this sort of location and this sort of pricing may not have been available during normal periods. That's the other thing, right? So we thought, okay, I'll try and see since it's already on our mind. How importantly, I was bored. <laughs> so I, I kept like poking at and saying, hey, we should open in Singapore now. <laughs> I travel anyway. Yeah, Derek has nothing to do for once in his life. He actually has to work. <laughs> so how hard is it for a Malaysian brand to start a business in Singapore? I know um, it's like a homecoming for you guys, but again, you guys started in Malaysia and you're you're all Malaysians. So how hard is it to penetrate into the market? How is the market different from compared to Malaysia? So Derek is Singapore. Even though he prefers to be Malaysian, he's actually Singaporean. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it's, it's unfortunate for him, but yeah, at least it's actually at home for him. Uh, the, 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 the way that the market reacts is quite different in Singapore because of the amount of competition and also the density. Uh, of population in those in those neighborhoods, so the the category there is a bit different. Uh, uh, but it's more more importantly, is also having someone there with half a brain. I think I think he has half a brain <laughs> to, to react to the day. Huh? Yeah, some some more than half. Yeah, also with a brain to go and to to go and worry about the day to day stuff and react to things every single day because the market fundamentally is same same but different. Uh, it's it's not exactly comparable, uh, but yeah, there are there are nuances and instances that requires different different ways to address it. And, and the most important thing is he has a reliable partner in me to jaga Malaysia, and we have a re- and I have a reliable partner in Singapore that's like where he can jaga you know ninety five percent of the things that we are both bouncing boards for each other. I think we've also been quite fortunate. A lot of uh, there's been a lot of support from Malaysians based in Singapore for Inside School, and they have been. From day one, quite perfect uh, for us. So the brand already had some traction to start with in Singapore. In fact, we had Singaporeans come to us to say, "Oh, I used to go out to KL and have your ice cream all the time. You know, now that I can have it in Singapore, that's great." Or we have Malaysians saying, "You know, I've been stuck here for the last one and a half years. This is uh, this reminds me of home." So I think it's uh, it's 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 quite gratifying that we we can play that role to to bring some a part of home to the Malaysians here. Yeah, like what Edmund was saying, like the competition there is different and Singapore has many notable ice cream brands like Birds of Paradise and Kind Cones. How are you going to differentiate yourselves? That's a good question. We, we think about it a lot. <laughs> um, you know, I think, again, you know, there are, there are brands that try to tackle the botanical team, for example, uh, Birds of Paradise and some others. and. They do it well, and there's a market for that. I think there's also a market for players like us that do the staple products, the staple flavors like chocolate and durian extremely well, but also do come up with uh, modern reinterpretations of of uh, class nostalgic foods that we have, like the marble sesame, or in your, as you mentioned earlier, the rocher, where you make a chocolate that we're all familiar with as kids into something that's relatable as adults. So uh, we we I think we position ourselves differently. Uh, we we pride ourselves on the quality of the ingredients, the quality of the product, the nostalgic feelings that we bring out. 
And we also um, focus a lot on bringing people together as through ice cream and waffles. So if you look at our stores, it's designed for people to sit in and spend as much time as they want with their family, with their friends, with their loved ones. Uh, so we see ice cream as a medium uh, to bring people together as opposed to just a food product. So what are your plans in Singapore then? I mean, other than you guys are opening a new outlet in one and a half months? Well, I think we will open a few uh, in the next 12 to 18 months, a few more. Uh, I think we will learn to be smarter from the Singapore market experience as a, as a group uh, in terms of how do you enter a new market, how do you leverage what you can originally, but also tailor it to suit uh, different markets. And this will help us think of markets beyond Singapore. So a lot of it is learning and not too dissimilar to what we went through in Malaysia, right? Trial and error. It's a lot of um, making sure that we are doing things that suit the local palates and uh, just learning how to live with competition because you can't out-compete everyone on day one, but you can try to, you know, at least stand your, stand your own ground. So it's been eight years now. Do you guys have ever thought about maybe I should have stayed at my corporate job or not once you've never thought about it? The first day he really was thinking, sorry, the second day he really was thinking about that. What are you talking about? But eight years now, you are seeing 27 outlets. Maybe you're like, oh, thank God for this foolish decision. Depends. You ask me, the, the answer differs every day, whether, whether it was a good day or a bad day. Yeah, whether it's a bad day. We, we obviously don't make as much money. We knew that was the other problem. We still, believe it or not, don't have as much free time as we used to. Uh, our stress per hour of work is higher than what it is, than what it was. Uh, but the journey is also more interesting. Uh, there's more to life than just doing banking stuff. Uh, we, are, we are learning like practical skills every single day. We're, we're, we're going on this journey where the, 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 the experience is more exciting, it's more unpredictable. So quite a different experience altogether, which is, which is quite, to me, I enjoy it. To me, I, I fundamentally enjoy it. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's um, quite rewarding uh, to, to look at something grow a business of yours grow rather than working in a business that's not yours. Uh, then, then you look at your bank account and you think differently next day, but <laughs> jokes aside, uh, no, it, it's a, it's a very, it's quite a rewarding 99% of the time. It's free. Wow. Emotionally. <laughs> so not rewarding money, uh, in money terms. <laughs> Yeah, at some point in time, I'm sure it will be. But no, we're not that focused on the monetary rewards, at least not entirely. We make enough, but yeah, it's just more of building for the future. We'll do really well, or I'm hoping that we'll do really well. That's why we're still here today uh, over the next couple of years as we expand and continue to grow the business uh, and plow everything that we have into this. So what advice would you give to young entrepreneurs who are starting out? Point number one, it usually takes longer than you expect. But what you think you achieve in five years, maybe five, seven years, eight years, uh, things don't happen immediately. Um, I think you always have to be paranoid that that you you know you that your you cannot take your customers for granted. You you have to be paranoid that someone they always have their choices to go elsewhere, and it's a lot harder work than than you than you would expect. <laughs> seven days a week, yeah. For me, the, the same advice 
people that come and see me fairly often, and it happens more often than you, you expect, and I do a lot of this sort of discussion. Uh, the first is don't jump into the business for the wrong, don't jump into doing your own business for the wrong reasons. And the wrong reason is usually I want to make a lot of money and I don't want to work for people. Uh, those are the two reasons that you shouldn't go into business. I think you should go into business to solve a problem that you see in, the, in whatever that you want to do and also enjoy the journey along the way. And if, if you need to be a bit patient, you know, work, work, in a, work in a corporate job or work for someone and, and, and get a mentor in that process, by all means do that first. Uh, the business opportunity will always be there in one year, two years, three years when you have the right experience to jump into something. Uh, as I said, the most important thing to me is don't jump into it for the sake of jumping into it because it's sexy. Everybody wants to own their, have their own business. There will be distractions. There will be a lot of distractions along. You, know, you, will, you will hear all these urban legends about why oh, this person go into this business. In one week, they did not know how many gazillion dollars worth of sales and it's super amazing. There will be outliers like that, but they are few and far between. Uh, solving the problems on a day-to-day basis and making sure that you're here for the long run is more important than short-term uh, gratification. Yeah, that's uh, that's generally the sense that I get from uh, the oh, younger yeah, people looking. You wish you had given yourself that advice right eight years ago. <laughs> no, actually, I think that we, we entered fairly late. I, I would have said, I, I think if it were up to me, I would like to do this business maybe three or four years earlier. Early two, or early. Three years early. two or three years earlier. Okay. Because we, we love banking on the... Well, at least I like banking on exactly 10th year anniversary, right? Like the, the, the difference... Yeah, the difference between 8 and 10 years, not much already. Uh, other than monetary, there's not much difference really from an experience standpoint. Well, I guess maybe we stay... Age-wise, we're yeah. 30 already, no, 30-something, 30 30 right? 30. For me, it's 30, for you, 31, I think. Yeah. 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 No, so, I, I think you had more energy when you were younger, definitely, and less distractions with kids, etc. So that would be mm. helpful. Uh, but on the flip side, also less experience. I mean, the more things you see, there was a bigger cushion that we built for ourselves personally so that we could be... We wouldn't depend on the business to to make us rich in the first years. We could afford to reinvest everything. So I don't think that timing was bad. Or, you know, that's never good or bad timing. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. I don't think that's a good or bad timing because you just make a decision at that point in time. But it's more of like if we did it maybe one or two years. I won't say too far. Like I won't say five five years earlier. I would say one or two years would have. I mean, less distraction with kids. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on the show and sharing your story. I'm sure our listeners are learning a lot and I myself, I'm learning a lot too. All right, thanks for having us. Thanks, thanks. You have just listened to Foodie Canteen. This episode is brought to you by GrabFood. Special thanks to Edmund, Derek and Shirley for sharing their inspiring story. This show is produced by me, your host, Castleton, and co-written by Mei Wei Kwa. Foodie Canteen Podcast is made possible by the excellent team at Good Foodie Media. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Foodie Canteen for more. Follow us for brand new episodes every Friday. Thanks for listening.